The fourth message in a series about the church as we review again together this eight-word phrase that helps us understand in short terms who we are and what we're about as a church, loving Jesus, loving His family, serving His world. And today we're focusing on how to be His loving family, how to be the people who love His family, how to love one another. What does that mean? And we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Before we get there, let me remind you, sermon spies, that our sermon spy words are love, Jesus, and church. Love, Jesus, and church. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19, the Word of God says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I want you to look with me briefly at this eight-word phrase that identifies and helps us understand some of what we're about as a church. Loving Jesus, loving His family, serving His world. And I want you to understand that there is a a reason for the order in which these phrases take place. The center and the focus of being a Christian is loving Jesus. Jesus said the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then every other aspect of relationship flows from that. Starts with loving Jesus, then loving His family. And as we learn to love one another in the family of God, then it is serving His world. Serving His world flows out of loving His family. That's one of the reasons it's so important to love His family as the source and the upbuild, if you will, of serving the world. Because if we just serve the world and there's no love in the family, people will catch on to that. They will know that we're just serving the world in some artificial, programmatic sense. They will know that it's not organic. They will understand that the service that's being offered to them is not service that's love. We'll just be making check marks on our spiritual tote board. We will just be saying the right things and doing the right things and engaging in the right programs. It's one of the reasons that in our Wednesday night Awana, when we have so many people come to us that are not actively involved in this church, that the focus of our meetings and our preparation and our training is so much on just loving, incorporating these people who come into the building, these kids who come into the building, their parents who bring them into the building, just incorporating them into the love that we already have so that they will want to know why it is that we're loving. And so loving his family 
must always <clears throat> be the energy behind and the foundation beneath loving or serving his world. And loving Jesus is the energy behind and the foundation beneath loving his family. So it flows in the order in which it's written. Loving Jesus, loving his family, serving his world. <clears throat> what that means to us is that to make a difference in our world, to make a difference in Northeast Colorado, we really need to start with the church. We need to start with First Baptist Church. If First Baptist Church is going to serve well the world that we are called to serve, then we've got to start with the church and be sure that the church is loving. That's why one of the things that I've been saying to you for the last several months as we seek to prepare for the coming of a new pastor is this. We've got to stir up the love among us so that when he comes, he's not dealing with a bunch of conflict and a bunch of problems, that the love is flowing generously and freely, and then he can just build on that. That's what we want, loving his First Baptist family. One of the reasons that I want you to, to remember that for is that really First Baptist Church is a local church, and the local church is truly the hope of the world. God has no strategy for changing the world outside of the local church. I want to say that again. God has no strategy for changing the world outside of the local church. That's his primary focus, to get the world changed. There's three reasons, real quickly, that I want to give you for the fact that the local church is God's strategy and is the hope of the world. First of all, the church is the hope of the world because it upholds the truth about salvation. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes, If I delay, I want you to know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Buttress just means something that holds something up. And so we are the ones whose job is to support the truth, share the truth, hold the truth up, sustain the truth. One of the reasons that in this church, if you want to become a member of this church, you go to a membership class, and one of the main features of that membership class is a reading of the New Hampshire Confession, our doctrinal statement, so that you know what is the truth that we believe, and you are in substantial agreement with that, because if we're not in agreement with the truth, we can't hold it up. So, the church is the hope of the world because it upholds the truth about salvation. Secondly, the local church is the hope of the world because it is the agent of God's love. Jesus talked about that so many times, and He likened our loving the world with shining light into the world. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, He said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So we've got this love that we share within the body, and what Jesus is saying is also point that love outward. Share that love outwardly. Don't just keep it to yourself. Get it outside the walls. Spread that love. Let your light shine before others. So the local church is the hope of the world because it upholds the truth about salvation. It is the agent of God's love. And because the church stands in prayer, stands in the gap for the world. We pray for the world. That's what it means to stand in the gap. 
You see the things that we pray for. You look at our prayer list. You know that there are prayer groups that pray for folks in the community. Our prayers are not just for us. Our prayers are for the community and for what goes on around here. On our prayer list, there's a number of items that are like Northeast Colorado law enforcement officers and first responders. We, we pray. A lot of you are using that prayer list on a regular basis. But we are called by God to do that, not just as a function of what's on a prayer list, but we are also called by God to strategically position ourselves. In fact, we have been strategically positioned by the Holy Spirit between God and lost people in the world so that everywhere you go, you find yourself in an intercessory position. You're positioned by God in an intercessory position strategic location so that you can bring these people before God in prayer and bring God before these people in kindness. It says in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord is speaking and He says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land so that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Is He finding any here? Yes, this church, keep praying, grow in your prayer. Don't just worry about the community, and certainly in the name of Jesus, don't just complain about the community. Pray. When somebody does something in your presence that might cause you to complain or gripe or be upset, don't, be, don't gripe and be upset. Pray, because God is looking for people who will stand in the breach, stand in the gap, intercede. That should be our response, and that's why the church is the hope of the world. If we do that, then the church actually lives into its calling as the hope of the world. Well, obviously, in order to be the church that is the hope of the world, then it's important that the church sh be shined up. We've we got to shine up the church in order to light up the world. If we're supposed to light up the world with love and intercession and ministry and serving, then the first thing that needs to happen is that the church needs to be shined up. And when we say the church needs to be shined up, don't think that what that means is we got to get better programs and better ministries and better classes. When I say the church needs to be shined up, I'm talking about the people who are the church need to learn to live lives that shine with the hope of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And so the first part of shining up the church to light up the world is this. We embrace the hope of the gospel. We live as people who are set free from the griping and the moaning of the world into a hope that is based upon the gospel. We become a people who don't gripe about the economy, but we have hope. We become a people who don't gripe about the condition of the community, but pray instead, and we have hope. We become a people who don't gripe about our spouses because we are a praying people and we have hope. We become a people who don't gripe about the relationships that we have because we are a people who know the gospel, and the gospel changes lives, and therefore we have hope. In verse 23 of the text we've read out of Hebrews 10, it says, let us hold fast our confession, the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So to embrace the hope, to keep hope going, there's two things you can do. They're mentioned right here. 
First is we need to rehearse the promises. Keep going over the promises. Keep going over the promises. Remind yourself of what God has promised. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. I'll pour out my spirit upon you. Keep rehearsing the promises. In your Bible, mark the promises that God has made. Rehearse them. Go over them. What happens when you rehearse something? You remember it, and it comes easily to your lips. Anybody who's ever uh, directed a high school play knows how difficult it can be if kids don't rehearse their lines. It will not come quickly to their lips. And when we rehearse the promises, then they come quickly to our lips and to our heart. But when we don't rehearse the promises and difficulties happen, then we're left wondering, I wonder what I'm supposed to do now. How should I respond? How should I feel? How should I think? It's critical that we rehearse the promises. Do you? Do you preach the gospel to yourself? Do you tell yourself what God has promised he's going to do? Probably nobody else is going to tell you. You know, if you're going through difficulty, I I don't think it would be wise for you to wait for me to just give you a call out of the blue. I think you just need to be doing that yourself. We all need to rehearse the promises. Like this one in Psalm 138, verse 8. David said, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. The Lord's going to fulfill his purpose for me. He's called me. He's got a purpose in my life. There are certain things that the Lord wants to do in my life, and he's going to do those things. It's my responsibility simply then to trust in him, remember those things, and live in a direction where the fulfillment of those purposes becomes smoother, where he doesn't have to whop me upside of the head every day to get me into his purposes, where I'm cooperating with his purposes. So you rehearse the purposes that motivate you to cooperate with them so that you can experience them in your life. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And then not only do we rehearse the promises, but we recall the promiser. Why do we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering? The second half of the verse says, for he who promised is faithful. We recall the promiser. We read, he who promised. Let's remember who made these promises. This is not Joe down the street. This is not your Aunt Alicia who always promises to get you something for her birthday and always forgets your birthday. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about he who promised. He who promised is the faithful one. He's the one who keeps his promises. And so we rehearse the promises as we recall the promiser that he is faithful. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Philippian church in verse 6 of chapter 1. He said, Now I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the focus there is he who began. Who started this? Who started this? Well, then our confidence is based upon who started it. It's God. So our confidence is based upon who He is. He who began is the one who will finish it. That's our confidence. So we embrace that hope. 
that hope that's founded upon the gospel, that God would send his son to die for sinners and rise again for their salvation is the source of the hope that we embrace. And so we'd never focus on the circumstances. We never focus on the trials. We never focus on the difficulties. We always focus on he who began. He who began. He who promised is faithful. Embrace the hope. That's how you shine up the church. A hope-filled church is a shiny church. It's a church, a church that shines out light. Y'all have opportunity to do that right now. A hope-filled church, a church that's looking forward to a future with a pastor that has new vision and new plans and new ideas and new energy just think about what's available, the opportunities and the hope that's before you. Live into that because he who promised is faithful. Now, once we've got that hope going, and as we remind ourselves about that hope, then our next job is to incite others to love and good works. Verse 23 says, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24 says, let us stir up one another to love and good works. We got this hope going. I got hope going in my heart, and I'm going to stir up my brothers and sisters to love and good works. I'm going to incite some love. That stirring up is a fun term, you know? Stir it up. Mix it together. And that means you get involved in other people's lives and you speak words of encouragement to them and, and you say, come on, let's hope in the Lord. Come on, let's do this together. We can do this. Anybody who's ever been involved in any kind of a sports team understands the value of other team members saying to someone who just missed a shot or just missed three shots in a row, coming up to them and, you know, doing what you do on a sports team, punching them in the shoulder, grabbing them or whatever you do and say, come on, man, we can do this. Let's work at it. That kind of thing is so valuable also in the family of God. And so when you see somebody who is kind of down and kind of bummed out and not really, you know, energetic or walking with the Lord very enthusiastically, then it's time to stir up some love. And here's how you stir up love. To stir up love in others, you stir up love in yourself. What that means is you got to get that going inside your own heart if you're going to share it with them. But it really isn't hard to get that going in your own heart if you remember something. 1 John 4.19, Bob read it to us earlier. We love because he first loved us. I'm full of love because Jesus has loved me. And otherwise, I'm quenching the Holy Spirit. If, if I'm not full of love to my brothers and sisters, I'm quenching the Holy Spirit who pours the love of God into my heart, according to Romans 5.5, 5, the love that he first gave me. I don't have to manufacture love. Notice the term here is stir up. It's not manufacture. It's something that he's already poured into you. It's something that he continues to pour into you. What you do is just stir it. Just stir it so that it splashes around. Just stir it. Just jiggle it up. That's all you got to do. And how do you do that? Well, the first thing he says is consider one another. Just think about your brothers and sisters. That batch of imperfection that is the church, just think about it. That batch of people who were still 
on Jesus' to-do list? Yeah, think about him. Consider one another. It says, and let us consider one another, verse 24, to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Three things are mentioned here that are involved with considering one another. One is be mindful of your connections. What that means is that in this community, everywhere you go, you are a representative of First Baptist Church. What that means is that people who don't know anything about the church are going to understand First Baptist Church by looking at the way you are. Now, we understand that their evaluation may not be accurate or even fair because you may be having a terrible day. And they may therefore come to the conclusion that First Baptist Church is like you are when you're at your worst. But that's why it's important that when you go to the restaurant or when you go to the shopping center or when you go to buy clothes or when you go to coffee or when you go to a, a community organization that you remember that you don't just go on your own. You go with your church in tow. You take them wherever you go because however you are is going to represent the way First Baptist Church is perceived by the community. That's what it means to consider one another. Remember, be mindful of your connections with the body of Christ. It will help you to do that if you do what it says here, and that's get together. I mean, if you've been absent from Bible study or church for nine weeks, it's going to be really hard to remember your connections. Do you know that the Bible commands Christians to never skip church? I read a statistic the other day put out by Lifeway. Among people in America across the the spectrum. Do you consider yourself active in your church? And if the answer was yes, they asked in this survey of many thousands of people, how often do you attend the weekend services of your church? And they compiled all that information. And the average number of times that a person in the United States who attends church and considers themselves active, average number of times they're in church per month is 1.6. By the way, when I started ministry, the definition of an inactive person was two or less. And now the average active person is 1.6. What is going on here? We've forgotten our connections. We're not being mindful of our connections. I want to share with you something to encourage you. You need to know this, and this is not just from a pastor's perspective. Another survey, and this was a survey that did not, did not include pastors, and so this is not a pastor's perspective. What's the most encouraging thing that happens on a Sunday morning when I get to see my friends in church on a regular basis? 
It blesses me to see my friends. Do they have to come up and talk to you? Do they have to come up and say anything to you? No. It just blesses me to know that they took the time to get there like I took the time to get there. It blesses me to know that they considered the relationship as important as I did. And that confirms my sense that it's important when I see that they think that it's important. Do you know one of the things that you can do that will bless this church the most between now and the time that the new guy is here? Show up. Just show up. I really think that that Sunday after I leave, there should be more people here than the Sunday before I leave. Why? Well, because on that Sunday, it's going to be more, uh, more important and more evidently important that the church is made up of the people, and it's not about the pastor. So you are going to have opportunities to get together in recognition that this is critically important, this touching one another, being with one another. Getting together, that if you read these words, you understand is a command. Therefore, let us not neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So important. And what a great opportunity this church has. We've got, I want you to say this, we've got a great opportunity. Would you say that? We've got a great opportunity. The opportunity is to show what church is all about. You know what everybody in this community is expecting of First Baptist Church? Starting the week after October 13th. Everybody in this community who doesn't understand what the church is about very well is expecting that people will start slipping away from First Baptist Church and attendance will go down until the new guy comes. Let's prove them wrong. I dare you. Maybe that's not appropriate for a pastor to issue a dare. How about, how about if I just say, I encourage you? Because that's the next thing that's involved in considering one another. It's encouraging one another. It's that putting your arm around somebody, looking them in the face, saying, you bless me, or I'm really glad to see you. Just a word of affirmation can take a person through several days of a grumbling, griping world. Anybody up in here know that we live in a grumbling, griping world? Yes, it is the native language of America over the last 30 years. Grumbling and griping is the native. It's it's replacing English as our first language. Grumbling, griping. It hasn't made it into the official list of languages of the world, but I see it as the official language of middle America in these days. And what we have an opportunity to do is to speak a different language, so different that people will want some of it. They'll want that. It has a refreshing air about it when we speak encouragement to one another. Now, just one more point. Shine up the church to light up the world means embracing the hope of the gospel. It means inciting others to love and to good works. And finally, it means remembering the urgency. We, we can't put this off. The Word of God says in verse 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in a technical sense, when the New Testament uses the term the day, <clears throat> they're commonly talking about the day of judgment. But it also means not just the final day of judgment, it means the day of decision that's before you all the time. And so I want to point out to you very quickly three forms of urgency that are before us 
to consider one another, be mindful of one another, why we have to get together, why we have to encourage one another, why it's an urgent requirement that we incite others to love, why it's urgent that we embrace the hope of the gospel. Here's why. There's the urgency of chronology. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the time is short. We've got a limited number of opportunities to do what we're commanded to do, and then the opportunities to do what we're commanded to do will be cut off by any number of things, cut off by the Lord's return, cut off by a change of residency, cut off by any number of things. I felt this on Thursday night when I went for the very last time to the Logan County Jail. And I realized I had one more group of guys I could preach the gospel to one more time. And so I did. And thank you all for praying for me. There were seven guys there. Four of them prayed a prayer of repentance and trust in Christ. God knows their hearts. Sometimes you just need to realize that the time is short, and that means you better give it all you got. And I don't know what time is short means for you, I know what it means for me. You better give it all you got, John. But Jesus is coming soon, so we all better give it all we've got. Remember the urgency. There's the urgency of chronology. There's the urgency of circumstances. Sometimes people just are having difficult times. Times are hard. Sometimes it's not so much a fact that the time's short, but the fact that the times are hard. And in their life, if they don't hear from Jesus soon, they're going to give up. Things have gotten so bad that if they don't get some encouragement, if they don't get some love, if they don't get some blessing from the gospel, if the church doesn't reach out to them and minister to them and meet some needs right now, they're going to be hardened by their circumstances, and they're going to be very difficult to reach, much more so than they are right now, a year from now. So there's this circumstance. Reach into the difficult circumstance and show the love of God. Who is a person in your life that's having difficult circumstances right now and you just need to reach into their life and stir up some love? Pray for them and tell them you're praying for them. Who is that person? It's urgent, y'all. All the more as you see the day drawing near. But the most basic urgency is simply the urgency of command. We don't need the chronology, we don't need the, co- the circumstances nearly as much as we need to remember the command that loving one another was never told by Jesus as an optional piece of equipment in the life of the church, that stirring up love in one another and attending together on a regular and a frequent basis, more than 1.6 times a month, mind you, that that's a command. That we call Jesus Lord, and the Lord has commanded us to do these things, which means it's not a matter that the time is short or that the times are hard, but it means that the time is now. Something's got to happen now. Something needs to change now for you and I to shine up the church and light up the world Stir up love, remember one another, and encourage one another. Don't wait. Don't wait. Do you know that delayed obedience is the same as disobedience? Delayed obedience is the same as disobedience. 
So I want us to think real quick as we close here about a couple of commitments that you could make starting now in, in these areas. Maybe it's to change some speech. Maybe there are habitual words that tend more to be discouraging than encouraging that come out of your mouth on a regular basis, and maybe you just need to say to the Lord, deliver me from that, help me to be an encourager. Maybe you're real picky about who you love, and you've heard today that there are no restrictions on love, and you need to stir up all the people around you to do love and good works. Maybe this morning you just need to recall that God is faithful. And if you made a vow to Him at any point in your life, He's here today to help you remember that promise and to help you keep it. Where are you with the Lord? What commitment do you need to make? Let's pray.